0: How to Play, Episode 29A, Through the Ages, Part 1. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com where you can support the show with a PayPal donation. And I can be contacted at the Guild on Board Game Geek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm. We're doing episode 29 today, and we're covering the most highly requested game ...for a How to Play episode ever. We've had a lot of demand to do this episode, and now that it's summer... ...and I have a little bit of time off away from my busy schedule... ...I'm very excited to put together this episode for you... ...so that you can go and enjoy this fantastic game, Through the Ages. Through the Ages was designed by Vlada Shavadl in the year 2006... ...and it can play between two and four players... This explanation was recorded on July 10th, 2011. Through the Ages has become a very popular and well-regarded game. When it first came out back in 2006, I remember hearing murmurs about it, but it was very hard to get, only available in Europe, and it took a long time to be available in a fully functional edition over here. It's been available now in its third and best edition, from Eagle Games for a while now and I think its popularity is being increased by the availability of an online site with which to play this game. And over the last few months I've really been digging into this game and grown to really appreciate it and it's definitely going to have a spot in my top 50 at the end of this year. So why do so many people love this game? What's so great about this game? Through the Ages does do a great job of scratching that itch of building up that civilization. It's just an amazing experience to go through all these passages of time to start off with primitive people and, and go through different technologies and choose a direction for your civilization, whether to focus on you know, a military civilization or to build up your technologies or to change governments, just to go through that whole process through the experience of a board game it is just amazing. It really lends itself to a board game. The tricky part comes in designing a set of rules to manage the grand scope of guiding a civilization through time. And Vlada had has done an amazing job here with this game. One thing we've been talking about on Ludology is the narrative arc, how playing a game could be like reading a story or watching a movie. You certainly get that feel of narrative arc when you play this game. You start off building with with just a few things, and then you grow and become more powerful. And then you hit this climax point of trying to get those big wonders or maybe declaring a huge war against your opponent there near the end of the game. It is just an amazing experience from start to finish. The other thing I enjoy about this game is there are so many strategic options. You have four actions and there are many different choices on how to play each turn. You're given a manageable set of options, but within those options, there's many different ways to play it and figuring out what is the optimal route or just choosing which of those paths you want to go down is very interesting on each turn. You'll feel a lot of tension as you'll feel a lot of pressure trying to do five or six different things in order to continue to grow your civilization and be as successful as possible without getting stomped on by your opponents. This game also, by the time you get through with it, you will just feel mental exhaustion. Just kind of worn down at the end of it. And you know what, for me, that's a great thing. If, if that's something that you like, if you really want to challenge yourself mentally, this is a very good game to do that. It's a very replayable game. You can go down many different routes as available by the countless different cards. All in all, it's just an amazing game experience and a very impressive design by Mr. Shavato. I think people will be playing this game for a long time to come, and I heartily recommend you invest the time and efforts to learn this game here with me today. Complexity Rating Through the Ages is definitely a double black diamond game, which means this game takes multiple plays in order to become proficient at. know, the first game, you're just going to be learning the basic mechanics. The second game, you'll start to see the cards and you'll understand the cards and know how they interact with each other and what to expect. For finally, your third game where you know all the mechanics, you have a good handle on what all those cards are, and you're really able to take this game on and enjoy it. Some of you may remember that in the Top 50 Strategy Games episode I talked about Through the Ages, and at that point I had only played the game two times, and so I hadn't really fully invested in the whole game yet. And it was really on that third play that I started to really get interested in this game. And after a couple more plays now, I have to say I'm hooked. This is a great game, and well worth your time. But that's sort of the crutch of this game, If there is a negative to look at here it is that you really need to invest yourself and you need to have one to three other people who want to invest themselves in this game like I said it's about three game process in order to get proficient at the game and depending on the number of players each game of this can take between three and ten hours so you're looking at at least a ten hour investment in order to really get a good handle on this game the other thing ...you may not like as you're starting to learn this game... ...or if you sit down to play this game... ...is the downtime. Especially if you're going to play the full four players... ...or if you're sitting down with all new players... ...it's going to have a lot of downtime... ...because during another player's turn... ...it can take between five and ten minutes to play that turn... ...and you just sort of have to wait there... ...and there's not really a lot of interaction... ...during a player's action phase. Which is why I recommend with newer players starting with the simpler versions or when you're first learning to play with two or three players this game is literally physically fiddly as well there are all these little wooden tokens that you're going to be moving around and you're also going to have to remember to do all sorts of little turn steps so there's really a lot to remember Also, over-analysis is a problem for you. That's going to be an issue in this game because there is a lot to analyze. So if you're going to sit down and play this with four players and you have friends who are over-analyzers that take long times on their turn, you may not want to invite them to play this game with you. So those are the fair warnings. You really have to devote a lot of time in order to get good and enjoy this game. And if you're willing to do that, it's a very rewarding experience. Now, when you look at the rulebook, you'll notice that the rulebook claims that there are three versions of the game. The simple game, the advanced game, and the full game. The game's played over three eras and essentially each of these games has you play that number of eras. The simple game uses one of the decks, the advanced game uses two of the decks, and the full game uses all three of the decks. Now it is my opinion that this is sort of a lie. There is only one game. The simple game is strictly a learning game. You're just going to start getting your civilization going, and then the game will be over. And much the same is true with the advanced deck. When you only play two decks, there comes a time about halfway through that second deck where a lot of the cards are not very valuable, as you sort of have to just shift your focus to going for points, and it really deteriorates from the full experience. You can play it in a pinch, But if you're going to play through the ages, if you're going to learn through the ages, expect that you are going in it trying to play the full game, because that's really what it's all about. It's really about playing three decks and going through the whole process. If you don't do that, you're really missing out. And that full game, just so you're aware in advance, can last anywhere between three upwards of ten hours if you're playing with four players who are slow or don't really know what they're doing. I would say on average around two hours per player, but it certainly can be played in less by very experienced players. Though the simple game does not give you the full experience, it is a useful tool. You know, I wish they didn't call it the simple game. I wish they just would have called it the learning game or rules for your first play because I think it is valuable for that purpose. Let me give you my recommendations on how to learn this game. As I said before, it's my opinion that it takes till that third play to really play the game with strategy as you'll be familiar with the mechanics and familiar with the cards that you're going to expect to be coming out. So knowing that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to play the full game right away. I really recommend, I urge you and beg you, if you're all new and you're just learning the game, just do that simple game. I know you want to jump in and do the whole thing, but I think it's going to be kind of painful and not really worth your time. Take two hours with two or three players and just do that simple game. Then on your second game, you can go all in, do that full game experience, or if you want to, I think it would be a pretty good idea to do the advanced game for your second game and sort of ease yourself into it. And then that third game, you can go ahead and go for that full game experience. I know you are very smart. You are listening to How to Play Podcasts, so obviously you are an incredibly intelligent person who appreciates a fine sense of humor, and you have excellent taste. But I really recommend just do this simple game. Please trust me on this one. So with that in mind, I'm going to use that to sort of guide how I'm going to explain this game. In thinking how I would teach this to new players. We'll start with our standard hook. And then we'll go into the meat of the rules. I will just do the meat of the rules for the simple game. Which is still going to be plenty of rules. And allow you to get in there and explore it. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to release a second episode. I'll call it episode 29B. And in that Second episode will be the second part of the meat. Rules for the advanced or full game. I'll include some basic strategy as well as go over all those little rules in the vegetables section. So we'll divide, we'll actually have two episodes here as it'll be long enough to justify that. So make sure you download episode 29 and 29B. So that is my recommendation to you is to get out this game, set up for that simple game, listen to this first part of the hook and the meat, then go ahead, give that a shot, then come back. I know that you will miss me terribly, and you're so tempted to listen to that second part, but just hold off, pause your iPod, or your MP3 player, or or your laptop, or your phonograph, or whatever you're listening to this on, listen to the explanation for the full rules, and then go after that full game, or even the advanced game if you'd like. It will help to have right there in front of you the player board and the main game board, or you can go online and and look at those things. I will post two pictures to help you out of the main player board and the game board there at the guild, so you can use that as well in order to help you visualize as I go through these rules. All right, it's time to get into this. Enough of a prologue. Put your thinking caps on how to play fans or non-fans who tolerate me to listen to these explanations. Let's get into this explanation with our hook. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Through the Ages. In this game, you'll be guiding your civilization, starting at ancient times and working your way through the Middle Ages and the Age of Exploration all the way to modern day. The goal of the game is to be the most culturally significant civilization of all time, represented by having the most culture points at the end of the game. So, culture points are the object of the game, but it is only one important aspect of all the many elements critical in building a successful civilization. You'll be faced with many pressures in order to stay competitive with your rivals. Success in this game requires you to constantly improve all aspects of your civilization. You will need to increase your population and increase your food and ore production. You'll want to develop new technologies to more efficiently produce food and ore. You will want to improve your governmental system in order to obtain more actions each turn. And of course, you will have to continue to keep pace in your military strength, or the rival civilizations will quickly take advantage of your weakness. In the midst of doing all these things, you need to find a way to score culture points. Some of the most common ways to earn culture points are to devote some of your precious ore resources to building wonders, or to allow a portion of your population to devote themselves to the arts or religion. Each turn, many of the wonders, after you've built them, as well as your employed artists and priests, will earn you those precious culture points. Though, if you devote too much time and resources to earning culture points at any one time, you'll ultimately fall behind in the game, either by having too slow a production or obsolete technology or military, and the other players will soon pass you by or crush you underneath their boots. The player who best manages is balance between constantly improving your civilization While simultaneous, wait, simultaneously? While simultaneously, finding ways to score the most culture points will win the game. Oh, and by the way, simultaneously, I've been informed, is the British pronunciation. So, you know, I say simultaneous, you say simultaneous. Anyway, so you're trying to score the most culture points. Let's move on to the meat. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. Alright, so to start with, you'll follow the setup rules, and you'll get all sorts of these blue and yellow and red and white tokens on your player board, which represents your starting civilization. So to start with, in order to understand this game, we're going to look at all those components on that board, as well as on the main game board, to learn some of the fundamental concepts of the game and the basics of running your civilization. So let's get to it, shall we? You're starting civilization. Alright, so let's look at the beginnings of your civilization. You should have a nice colored player board, And on it, you have a group of yellow tokens, a group of blue tokens, and six pre-printed cards on it. The five cards at the top, two gray, two brown, and a red, indicate the starting technology that your civilization is aware of. You know how to philosophize, you have some basic religion, you know some basic agriculture, you know how to mine for bronze, and you know how to make warriors. Awesome! You also have an orange card, and that represents your government. You are a despotism, and you are the despot. It's a funny word, despot. But that's what you are, a despot, you big meanie. All right, so let's look at those different tokens. Let's start with the yellow markers. What are the yellow markers? Howdy! Oh, hello there, small yellow wooden disc. How you all doing today? I'm I'm so glad you you could be here. Uh, For those of you who can't see, of course, because this is an audio podcast, uh, one of the small yellow wooden discs has just rolled over to me and apparently began speaking. Well, I'm so glad that uh, you decided to speak to me, small yellow wooden disc. Um, Can you explain to me what your function is in this game of Through the Ages? Hmm, well, that's a might tricky bit to say. Let's start like this. If you represent the ability of a civilization to increase its population, then you might be a yellow marker. Uh, okay, so you are the people in this civilization? Ah, not quite. When we are down in that population bank, you see, we represent abstractly the ability for a civilization to grow. Okay, so you're not really people. Well, we might be. You see if a player will pay food, that allows their population to increase and they get a token to move from that population bank to the worker pool. And if you are in that worker pool, then you might be a yellow marker. Oh, okay. So when they get to the when you move the yellow marker to that worker pool, It's then a person, a worker in your civilization, and I'm assuming we need to give him a job. Well, that's up to you. I don't mind sitting around in that worker pool, kicking my feet up, having a glass of lemonade. But if you want me to do something, you're going to have to pay some resources, some ore resources of some kind, and then you can give me a job. And you do that by putting me on one of them Their technologies. Okay, so when the yellow marker is on the card then, then it represents a worker who has a job of a different kind, like a warrior or a miner or a farmer. Well, not exactly. You see, when I move on to one of those cards, let's say I move on to the mine card, then I represent... A miner in a mine. You have just built a building. So if you represent a worker working in a building, then you might be a yellow marker. Okay, so when they're in the worker pool, they're workers, but then when they go on top of the cards, they are workers inside of a building. Yep. Unless we're on one of them red technologies, which I don't like because I'm more of the loving type than the fighting type. But if you're on one of them, then you're a military unit. Are you a military unit inside of some kind of a building? No, don't be silly. You're just a military unit. Okay, I can't quite wrap my head around this. Let me see if I can summarize. So... Mr. Yellow Marker, when you are in the population bank, you represent the ability to increase your population. Yep. When you're in the worker pool, you represent a free segment of the population who can be given a job. You got it. And then when a player pays resources and moves you up to a technology, then you become a worker of some kind in a building, like a scientist in a lab or a priest in a temple or a farmer on a farm, something like that. By golly, you are quick. I will say good day to you, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Yellowmarker. Thanks for visiting. All right, so let's try to clarify that discussion with Mr. Yellow Marker and talk a little bit more about how they're used. Well, you have a big population bank, it's called. These yellow markers in your population bank represent your ability to increase your population. Right now, that bank is very full, so it is very cheap to increase your population. As you can see you have two yellow markers there on the far right of that bank and there is a food bag with the number two. That means to start off with it costs you two food to increase your population. And When you pay two food it moves from that bank into the orange box called the worker pool. So now you have a worker since you fed him he's in your civilization and he's ready to be given a job. Remember those five technologies we talked about? Those are the available jobs for our workers currently. I could make that dude a philosopher, a priest, a farmer, a bronze miner, or a warrior. In order to do that, I have to pay a certain amount of ore indicated there on the card Either two or three there to start. I would pay two or and then I can move that guy from the lazy worker pool to on top of one of those cards. When I move that yellow marker from the lazy box onto one of those cards, he now has a job. Not only that, that yellow marker changes from just being a person to being a building. For example, when I move a yellow marker on top of the religion spot, now I have a priest in a temple. He's both a worker and a building. Or if I have a yellow token on the mine card, he is a miner in a mine building. So to start with there, you actually have five buildings and you have one military unit. You have a philosopher in a lab. You have two farmers in farms and two miners in mines. So just be aware of that. When the yellow markers are on the cards, they are considered Buildings. So in the future, you will see cards that will refer to how many buildings you have, and that means how many yellow markers you have on those technologies. Next, there's a distinction between the gray, the brown, and the red technologies there. The gray ones, the labs and the temples, those are called urban buildings. The brown ones are farms and mines. Farms and mines are considered buildings, but they're not urban buildings. What urban buildings are is an important distinction for understanding some of the cards in the game and some of the rules in the game. Remember that urban buildings are yellow markers on gray technologies. So a quick quiz. How many urban buildings do you start the game with? If you answered one, then you've been paying attention. You have one yellow marker on your lab there. And that's a gray technology, so that is an urban building. You do have the temple technology, but since you don't have any yellow markers there, you know how to make temples, but you haven't made any yet. So to start the game, you have one urban building. Now the red technologies are a bit different. Those are not buildings. That is a military unit card. Yellow markers on red technologies are military units. Are you keeping this all straight? I know you are. You are brilliant. Do you see now why we need to play the simple game first? Good! So with the yellow markers, we spend food to move them up to the worker pool, and we spend ore to give those workers a job by building a building. Now, how do we spend food and ore? That is what the blue tokens are for. Hello. Hello? Oh! It looks like we have another visitor just in time. It's Mr. Blue Marker. And one of these uh, blue markers sort of uh, hopped its way over to converse with me. Hi, Mr. Blue Marker. Hi. You know, I'm so glad you showed up, Mr. Blue Marker. Can you tell the audience here at home um, what you represent? Well, that depends. Well, what does it depend on? It depends on where I am. I can be either ore or food. If I'm in a mine, then I'm ore. If I'm in a farm, then I'm food. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. It still seems a little bit hard to follow. At least I'm not as confusing as the yellow markers. Hey, what'd you say? I heard you, Blue. You know, if you can either represent food or ore, then you might be a blue marker. Ooh, that's true. Okay, let me make sure I understand. When we have a blue marker on a mine card, then it represents ore. And when we have a blue token on a farm card, it represents food. Yep. Okay, I think I got it. Thank you, gentlemen, Mr. Blue Marker. Mr. Yellow Marker, for helping to clear that up for my audience. You're welcome. So these blue markers can either represent ore or food. And one of the strange things is, is that we're going to be mining lots of different kinds of ore. In fact, later in the game we're not really going to be mining ore at all, we're going to be getting oil. But all of these resources, the bronze, the iron, the coal, the oil, these are all simply building resources, and throughout this explanation I'm going to refer to them as ore. Sometimes it's referred to generally as rock, because this is symbolized by the rock symbol. Now let's talk about how farmers and miners work. We're looking at these two yellow tokens on the farm and mine technologies. Why are these guys useful? Because they allow us to produce food and ore. You start with two farmers and two mines. That means that you're going to get to take two blue tokens to put on your farm and two blue tokens to put on your mine each turn. So that's going to give you resources to spend. You're going to want to spend the food to get another worker, and then you're going to use the ore to give those workers different jobs. How you spend the blue tokens is, say I wanted to spend ore, I would move the blue tokens from my mine card and move them back down to my bank, showing that that was spent. So let's try to pull all of that together to make sense of it. On your turn for an action, you might get a new worker by paying two food. You would take two blue discs off your farm card, move them back down to your bank. That would get you a worker. You'd get to move one of your yellow discs up to your worker pool. Now you want to make that worker a miner. Mines cost two ore. You have two ore because your miners produce ore every turn. So you spend your two ore by moving the two blue markers off your mine card and bringing those down to the bank. That allows you to move your yellow token up to your mine card. Now instead of two miners, you have three miners. So at the end of this turn, you will get three ore instead of the two you were getting before. You'll move the three blue tokens from your bank up to your mine card so that they're available to be used on that following turn. And farming works the same way. You can make another farmer so that you'll get more food tokens each turn to be used for getting more yellow guys to get more jobs and so on. So you need the food tokens from the farm to get more guys. You need the ore from the mines to give those guys jobs. And initially, early on, you want to probably get another farm and another mine, so you're getting more food and more ore to be able to get more guys and give them more jobs and so on and so on. So let's review. The Yellow tokens are people, and when you put them on a technology card, they become a building. If you put them on the farm and the mine, they're gonna produce more for you. The blue tokens can be either food or ore, depending which of those cards they're on. And you need to spend food in order to get more guys, and you need to spend ore in order to give your guys different jobs. For example, making them into a miner to get more ore. That's how those yellow and blue tokens work takes a little bit of practice, but within a few turns, you'll have the hang of it. All right, let's talk about those white markers. Well, hello there. Hello, Mr. White Marker. Oh, good to see a friendly face. Nobody visits me much anymore. Can you please explain for the listeners here uh, your function and, and what you do? I represent the ability of a civilization... To accomplish tasks. So the more white markers I have, the more things I can do on my turn. That is correct. A wise ruler may earn more of me to do more on each turn. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Mr. White Token. Farewell, my friend. Hold on just a second there, Private. The white markers are not the only things that represent actions. Jeez, the red marker has just, uh, stood to attention. Hello there, red marker. You will dress me as Sergeant Red Marker, sir. Yes, Sergeant Red Marker, sir. Um, but really the thing is, I'm, I'm kind of ignoring you right now because... We're just going to talk about the simple game, and um, you don't really have a, a very big impact. Are you a coward, Private, that you have to play a simple game for simple people like yourself? Well, uh, Sergeant Red Marker, sir, I'm really trying to encourage these new players to um, learn the simple game, you know, as it, it will really help them in their comprehension of the game, and, you know, they just won't be overwhelmed with the first... Sure, why don't you go have fun upgrading farms and inventing drama and prancing through the flowers going tra-la-la. When you want a taste of reality, come back and talk to me. Okay, uh, I guess we'll talk to you later then. Thank you, Mr. Sir... Uh, Sergeant Red Marker Sir. So let's get back to these white actions. If we're talking about actions, we have to look at our government, because the type of government that you have dictates how many actions that you have. There's an orange box for your current government. Remember, you are a despot, and so you are running a despotism. Everybody starts as a despotism, and a despotism gets four white markers and two red markers. The white markers represent the number of civil actions you can take. These four white markers are the most important, especially here in the simple game. So we're going to focus on what those do first. So you have four of those white markers. Every time you take an action, you represent that by taking one of the white markers and putting it off your card. I like to take it and put it off the top so I know that that's used and I have three more actions left. There are many different choices with what you can do with those action markers. We've already talked about two of the most common of those actions. It costs one action to bring a yellow marker from your population bank to your worker pool, and it would take another action to, as I say colloquially, give that worker a job to make him a miner or a farmer or a priest, spend ore and move him on top of one of those cards, that would be an action. So that's sort of a two-action process to get a new worker, and then usually you want to give that worker a job. You'll be spending a lot of your actions doing that, but you also need to use actions to pick up more cards that become available throughout the game. You also need to spend actions to play cards, So those are the four things that players typically do with their actions. They get another worker by spending food, or they give a worker a job by spending or, or, I suppose I shouldn't have used or because it sounds like or. Anyways, or they take a card from the available cards, or they play one of those cards. So you have four actions of many of these choices with which to play out your turn and you can mix and match those however you like. You could get two workers and give two of those workers jobs. You could pick up four cards. You could play two cards and get two more workers. So you could do four different actions once, or you could do one type of action four times in a row. It's all up to you. So that's what those white civil actions are for. When you do just about anything, you take one of those white markers and you move it off of your card to show that you've used it. And you continue going that way until you've spent all four. Later in the game, it's possible to get more of those white action discs through different cards. Now you have two red markers. Those are military actions. And since we're just playing the simple game, we're really not going to use those a whole lot. In fact, they barely do anything. Did, did you guys hear something? Oh, well. So don't really worry about those. We'll talk more about those later. Okay, so that gives you a good sense of the main player board. Now let's look at the game board. The main game board. Alright, so this game board is a little bit unusual. All it is is a series of different tracks. Let's look at the main feature of the board, which is a card row. This card row is a major mechanic of the game and represents sort of the passage through time there are three different decks Age 1, Age 2, and Age 3 and as we go throughout the game different cards will become available and they will slide down we have some starting cards as well those are marked with an A and after that we'll get into the Age 1 cards and the Age 2 cards and the cards become stronger and more powerful as the game progresses to match your increased capability as you have more food and ore and the ability to afford these greater cards so the card row has 13 slots and. And as I said, one of the more common actions is to take one of those cards from the card row, and that costs at least one action. Of those 13 cards in the row, the first five spots from left to right have one circle underneath, the next four spots have two circles, and the last four spots have three circles. How many actions it costs depends on where it is. Because after you take your turn, the last few cards are removed, and all the cards slide down to the left and fill up meaning the cards that are the furthest to the left have been on the track the longest. You can take the cards that have just popped up on the track, but you're going to have to pay extra actions in order to do so. Generally, players only take from the first five spots, but if they see something particularly juicy, they'll be willing to spend two or even three actions to pick up that card that they really want. This represents the passage of time. As I said, the cards get stronger. It also is the timer for the game. In this simple game, we're just going to play through one deck of cards. We'll play through the starter A cards, and we'll play through all of the Age 1 cards. In the full version of the game, you play through three full decks of cards. Other than the card row, the game board is mainly just different tracks. Let's look at those tracks. If we look at the lower left of the game board, there are three tracks. A red, a yellow, and a purple track. And they're all together in a smaller rectangle. The red track has the sword icon. That is military strength. The yellow track has the harp icon, which represents culture. That's your culture rating. And the purple track has the light bulb. That is your science rating. Earlier, we talked about why you want to have miners and farmers. By having two miners, you get two ore every turn, which is a nice thing. So what do those other three things get you? Remember, you have the warriors, the priests, and the philosophers. Having yellow markers in those three jobs helps your ratings in strength, culture, or science. For each warrior, priest, or philosopher you have, your strength, culture, or science rating gets one more point. For example, to start the game, you start with one warrior, zero priests, and one scientist. So you have a strength of one, a culture rating of zero, and a science rating of one. So what are these three things good for? The military strength track in the simple game, honestly, it just doesn't matter that much. So honestly, let's not even worry about that right now. When you play the full game, if an opponent has a higher strength than you, they're able to do all sorts of nasty things to you. Now let's look at your culture and your science rating. Your culture rating scores you victory points every turn. The victory points are shown by the big yellow track that goes all around the board. And so if you have one priest, he gives you one culture or one victory point every turn. So at the end of every turn, you would get to move up one on that track that goes all around the board. And of course, if you added a second priest, then you could start scoring two points every turn. Science works much the same way. To start the game, you have one philosopher, so you have a science rating of one. There's a longer purple science track, remarking how much science, or I like to call them ideas, how many ideas you have. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to start earning one idea per turn. Now, these ideas are an important resource. In order to get better technology, meaning the ability to build better buildings, or military units, or governments, or a lot of other special abilities, you will need ideas. Say you want to mine iron instead of bronze, or you want to start making knight military units. You need to spend a certain amount of ideas in order to know how to do that. In game terms, this means you have to spend a certain number of those ideas printed on the card in order to play those cards in order to start using them. For example, to play the iron mining to be able to start mining iron and earn more ore resources. So in order to play a lot of the cards, you need these ideas. You will spend ideas. When you play a card, you'll have to move down on the idea track. So let's look at the difference of those two tracks. The tracks with the plus sign, that is your rating track, your culture rating and your science rating. Those two tracks tell you how much you're going to go up on the ideas and the culture track every turn culture track that goes all the way around the board, and the longer middle idea track is where you mark how many ideas and how many victory points that you have, as opposed to the rating tracks in the lower left that mark how much your culture and your ideas go up each turn. And those are the critical elements of the game board. Now, I've given you a lot of information. Let's try to pull it together with how you would play a turn. How to play a turn. Okay, so let's see if we can pull everything together that we've learned so far. On your turn, you have four white markers, which means you can take four actions. The most common things to do with those actions are to get another worker, to give that worker a job, to pick up a card, or to play a card. Remember, to get another guy, we need to pay food using the blue markers on the farm card in order to give the worker a job, We need to pay the blue markers that are on the mine card. If you want to pick up a card, that's going to cost you one, two, or three of your white markers depending on where it is in the line. Usually you'd stick to the the further left, but if there's something you really want, you can spend an extra action to get it. It's also an action to play a card from your hand. Some of those cards will cost you ideas and you'll need to have enough ideas to play that the ideas are represented by the light bulb symbol, and you'd slide down on the idea track, not the science rating track with the red plus sign. That's how much science you're going to earn back every turn. Those aren't all of the actions. We'll talk about a few more of them when we look at all the different kinds of cards, but they are the most common. So, a very common first turn in this game, and a very solid one that I recommend for your very first turn if you don't know what to do. Here's my suggestion. Technically, it will be the second turn, as the first turn is just kind of a setup turn that we'll talk about in a bit. But for your first standard turn, we'll call it, this is what you might do. You start the game with one worker who is already available. So you can take that worker and build a mine and make that guy a miner. That costs two ore, so you'll move your two blue markers down to your blue bank. You'd move the yellow worker from your worker pool and put it on top of your mine. Now you have three yellow markers on your mine card. So you're gonna get three ore each turn, which is good. Now I don't have any workers, but I do have two food I haven't spent. So why don't I get another guy so I'm ready to do something with him next turn. I'll spend two food by taking the two blue markers off my farm card, and I'll move a yellow marker from my population bank up to my worker pool. Well now I'll notice that I have zero blue markers left. I spent all my ore and I spent all my food. And I still have two actions left. What am I gonna do? Well, now would be a good time to pick up some cards. So I'll look at the cheapest cards, the ones that only cost one action, Figure out which ones suit my fancy, and pick up those cards and add them to my hand. I've spent all four of my actions. I built a mine, I increased a population, I took two cards that just cost a single dot. So, we've used up our four white markers. There's pretty much nothing left to do on this turn, so we might as well... <coughs> Excuse me, Private? Oh, oh yes, it's, it's our friend, Sergeant Red Marker Sir. Private? Even though you're playing the Happy Friendly Sherry game, you can still use the red tokens. Oh, okay, yes. Um, Sergeant Red Marker is right. The red markers do have a function in the simple game. Let's talk for just a second about those red markers. The red markers are for red actions, and you're going to be able to use two red actions per turn. In the simple game, these don't really matter. You're not going to worry about using these. For the most part, you're going to be ignoring them. Although, if you would like to, if you have spare ore lying around, You can make one of your workers into a warrior. And an important difference is when you build a military unit, it doesn't cost a white action. It only costs a red action. Warriors cost two ore, so you would spend two ore from your bank, and you would make one of your workers and put him on your warrior card, which would immediately raise your strength by one, so you'd have a military strength of two. So the good news is that doesn't cost you a white action though in the simple game the bad news is it doesn't really do anything for you because in the simple game the players can't really attack each other that happens from the military deck that we'll talk about in the advanced game but warriors are worth victory points at the end of the game and there's some cards in the deck that might let you build them cheaper or give you bonuses for having them so just so you know you you can use a red action to build a military unit but on most turns You're just not going to use these two red markers, and don't even feel bad about it. Though you should spend all of your white actions. You don't have to use all your white actions, but if you're not using all your white actions, you're really missing out on a potential to do something, so that's just usually bad. So after you spend all of your four white actions, your turn is pretty much over. The last thing that you do is that you produce. After you say, I'm done, you get stuff. You get culture points, science points, food, and ore based on your number of priests, philosophers, farmers, and miners, respectively. So at the beginning of the game, if you don't add any extra guys, you get zero culture points because you don't have any priests. You have one philosopher, so you'd get one idea to move on the idea track. You'd get two more food, so you gonna move two of those blue tokens up to your farm, and you would get two more ore. Immediately after you get your food, if your population is large enough, you may have to pay food this is called consumption this is marked in your population bank to start with you have zero consumption but if you use up two of those yellow markers you'll notice that the next bag says one consumption as you go down the line you're gonna have to pay more and more food also you'll notice that the price for getting a new yellow marker goes up from two to three to four once you start getting into different areas from right to left down that population bank so the end of your turn you have what's called production. You would score culture points for your priests, ideas for your scientists, you would get food tokens, then you would pay your consumption if you needed to, then you would get ore, and that would be the end of your turn. Now you're all set up for next turn as you've got some food and some ore to play with. All that's left is to set up the card row for the next player. Based on the number of players, either 1, 2, or 3 cards automatically gets knocked out of the card row. You discard those cards on the far left. Then you slide all the remaining all the way down to the left, and you fill up the empty spots with new cards for the deck, and the card row is ready for the next player to take his turn, either by getting new workers, giving the workers jobs, taking cards, or playing cards. And that is how the turn works. The next thing that you're going to need to know is is what all those different cards are. There are eight different types of cards available up in that card row. So we need to go over each of those different types of cards, talk about what they're good for and how they're used, and why you might want them. The different types of civil cards. Okay, so an important part of the game is selecting these cards from the card row. And the cards in the card row are called the Civil Cards. And what we're going to do now is look at all of the different kinds of Civil Cards. There are, in fact, eight different types of Civil Cards. And be helpful for you, if you own the game, take out your gray age one deck and just leaf through it as we talk about these different kinds of cards. If you don't own the game, I'll put a picture on some of those cards up there at the guild. Now, eight types of cards sounds like a lot, but a lot of them kind of do the same thing. First of all, five of those colors of cards are classified as technology cards. They don't really say technology or anything on them. What classifies them as a technology is that they requires you to spend ideas in order to play them onto the board. And that's one of your civil actions in order to play one of these technologies. Of course, it will also be a action to pick it up, so it's a two-action process to play one of these technologies. The technology cards come in five colors, red, gray, brown, orange, and blue. The red ones will give you new military units, the grays and browns will give you better buildings to put your workers in, the orange cards are new governments, and the blue technologies give you various special abilities. Let's look at each of those a bit more specifically. The brown, the gray, and the reds, most of the time these are upgrades to these starting technologies that you already have. There are better mines. You can go from mining bronze to mining iron. There are better farms, there are better scientists, and there are better military units. The farms and mines are the brown cards. The buildings, such as the scientist building and the temple buildings, those are gray, and the new military units are red. How these work when you already have a previous technology, like I already have the bronze mine, and I want to upgrade it to an iron mine. What happens is, I have to first take the iron card from the card row, that's an action, and then I have to discover that technology by paying ideas. And that's another action, I would slide back on the idea track and play my iron card. This is going to go on a stack on top of my starting bronze card, and here's why. Because you can upgrade your workers who were mining bronze and make them now mine iron. So you place the iron mine card on top of the bronze mine card, but leave enough of the bronze mine card showing so that you have two separate stacks there. The reason I want better mines or better scientific buildings is because they simply produce more. Now that I've discovered iron mining, I still don't have an iron miner, so that's going to be a third action. I have two options. I could either build a brand new iron miner by taking my, one of my workers from my worker pool and paying the full cost of the iron mine, which is five ore, and getting a new iron miner up there. And now I am mining iron. So that was actually a three-action process because I had to take the card, discover the card with ideas, and then pay ore in order to get one of my workers into that iron mine. And this is assuming I had a free worker. If I needed a worker, then it actually would be a four action process. Now, since you don't want to use up a ton of guys because that's going to lead to problems, it's a lot of times better than instead of building a brand new iron mine to upgrade one of your bronze miners to an iron miner. And you do that by spending an action to pay the difference in the cost of those two technologies. So bronze miners cost two ore and iron mining costs five ore. So by spending an action and paying the difference of three ore, I can move one of those yellow markers from being a bronze miner to now being an iron miner. Hooray! Now why do I care? Well, the iron miner is still gonna just get me one blue token. One blue token. Oh, hello, one blue token. How goes it? Yes, I... I'm sorry. It's more abstract representational things. Yes, yes, this does get a bit confusing because, you know, I thought when a blue token was on ore, it was worth one ore. Well, it is when it's on the bronze mining. But when there's a blue token on iron mining, Because there's a picture of two ore, it's worth two ore, and not just one. Oh, okay, so the amount of ore that you are worth depends on which of those cards you're on. If you're on the bronze card, then you're only worth one ore, and if you're on the iron card, you're worth two ore. That is correct. Now, why why would we mess with this? Why wouldn't you just get three of these blue tokens instead? Because we blue tokens are in short supply. Oh, OK, I see. Because there's an efficiency thing here. Because you get to use less blue tokens and still have more ore. So you could have two iron miners, and they will each earn you two blue tokens at two ore each, and that will give you four ore. Or, you could have four bronze miners, and they would give you the same number of ore, and you'd get four blue tokens there, but you'd be using up a lot more of those blue tokens. You're smart. Yeah. Tell that to Sergeant Redmarker. I don't like Sergeant Redmarker. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so that's the idea. You're going to want to move forward towards increasing the efficiency of your ore production. And you'll do that by being able to pick up this iron card when it appears, discovering the ore card, and then you're either going to upgrade your current miners so they'll produce more for you, or you'll build brand new miners. And eventually you'll probably upgrade all of those old bronze miners as it's a good deal to take that investment and make it more valuable by upgrading them because not only are you saving on the blue tokens that you're using you're also saving on the yellow tokens because it takes less yellow markers to earn the same amount of ore so increasing this ore production is very important Now once you understand that concept of how increasing your mining works you can apply that to basically all the other technologies. The other ones work very similarly, just with the different resources. With farming you're going to learn the age one technology is irrigation. And when you learn irrigation it works the same way that irrigation card would come up. You would pick it up from the card row, you'd have to spend another action to spend ideas To put that down on the board, you'd lay it on top, above your other farming technology. And then at that point, you could upgrade your old farmers to irrigating farmers. Or you could build new farmers directly onto that card to make farmers that earn two food. And you would put the blue markers onto that irrigation card. And each blue marker on that irrigation card would be worth two food. Which you don't just have to remember. There's a big symbol there of a food bag with the number two on it. So you know each of those blue markers is worth two food. And similar concepts work for your warriors and for your scientists. There is an alchemy card, and so you're going to take the alchemy card and you can put that above your philosophers, and now you can upgrade your philosophers into alchemists. The warriors can upgrade into swordsmen, and in both of those cases, you're increasing their capabilities by one. The alchemists will produce two science each turn, and the swordsmen have a military strength value of two instead of one. So this is a bit of a tricky concept, but once you understand this, you understand one of the hardest parts of the game. You're starting with these basic abilities, and a huge part of the game is deciding which of these upgrades to take at what time. You're not gonna get all of them, so that's a big decision point in the game, is which one am I gonna go for? You'll need to pick it up from the card row, play ideas to put it on the board, and then spend ore to upgrade them so you have increased production, so that you can now play even larger and more powerful cards. Though it is a bit hard to understand at first, once you get the hang of it, it really does a nice job of representing a progression in abilities over time, which is really what we're looking for here in this civilization game experience. So not only will upgrades come out, there will also be new types of technologies that aren't on your starting board. There's going to be libraries and theaters and arenas. For example, the first library technology is the printing press. Later on, if you play the fuller versions of the game, you could get an upgraded version in Age 2 of the library called Journalism. Another thing that's good to know is that there's no prerequisites here. Later on, when you play the full game, if you want to wait and get the Age 2 mine card, which is coal, and you don't have iron, you don't have to have the Age 1 mine to get the Age 2 mine you can take and play whatever technology that you want. If you have the earlier versions though, it might make upgrading a bit easier. The other thing you need to pay attention to is that the buildings have different type names. The type names are at the top, and the specific level of that type of building is represented as the main name of the card. So we have several mine cards, but there is bronze and iron and coal and oil. The type being at the top, being mine, and that informs you what stack it's supposed to go in. For example, say you get the age one lab, its name is alchemy, you already have a lab. Your your scientific lab currently is philosophy, but if you get alchemy and you play it, you're gonna play it on top of the philosophy, as philosophers can be upgraded into alchemists. Whereas if you take the printing press, which is a library, you don't have any libraries yet. So you'll set that in its own separate stack, and you'll have to put yellow workers directly from your worker pool into that printing press. If later on you get further libraries, such as journalism, you would then put that on top of the printing press, and workers can then be upgraded from the older technology up to the newer type of technology for that type. Paying attention to these types is also important when we move over to the military units. There are three different types of military units, and they are listed at the top of the card just like the buildings. They're also represented with a symbol. You start off with a warrior, which is an infantry unit, but also available in the game are cavalry and artillery. So you start with these measly warriors, and later in the game you could get the swordsman technology. And swordsmen are infantry, so those would go right on top of the warriors cavalry available in the deck, the age one cavalry type, is called knights. Now, if you were to get knights, they would not go on top of the warriors, because knights are not infantry, they're cavalry. You would start your own cavalry stack, a little off to the side, and this is significant because if you have those warriors, you are allowed to just directly upgrade those into swordsmen. You cannot upgrade warriors into knights. It just doesn't work. So you can have up to three different stacks of military units. One for the infantry, artillery, cavalry, and those are signified by sword and shield for the infantry, a horse for the cavalry, and a bow and arrow for artillery, which don't become available until age two. So that's what the red, gray, and brown technology cards do. They give you better buildings and better military units. They're going to be able to increase your ore and food production, increase your ability to get science or culture, and increase your civilization's military strength. Let's move on to the orange cards. The orange card is a new type of government. If you don't want to be a despotism anymore, you can take one of these new orange government cards from the card row. For example, one of them that you could take is a monarchy. Why you want these is because typically the number one advantage is they give you more actions. Each government works a little bit differently, but generally they all give you more actions. For example, the monarchy gives you five white discs and three red discs, as opposed to four white and two reds, so you would be gaining an action in each. One way of getting a new government is having a revolution. There are two numbers printed there in blue. The larger number is the revolution cost, and that's the cheaper cost. For a monarchy, it only costs three ideas to have a revolution and become a monarchy. But the other cost of having a revolution is you must use all of your white civil actions for that turn to change your government. Now, if you're a little smarter, meaning you have more of those ideas, you can avoid that cost. There's a number in parentheses, which will be a higher cost. For monarchy, it's nine ideas. And if you pay that full cost, then you can change your government for just one action. So normally, the governments give you more actions. The other thing they usually do is they increase your capability to have urban buildings. When you're a despotism, you'll see in the lower right corner, there's a little gray house with the number two in it. That means you can have, at most two of any one kind of urban building. So you can have up to two yellow markers in your labs. You can have up to two yellow markers in your temples, up to two yellow markers in your libraries. Farms and mines aren't affected. Remember, farms and mines are not urban building. That's why they're that brown color. Military units are also not affected by this. But when you switch over to a monarchy, now instead of being limited to two, you can have up to three labs. And of course, when I say labs, it doesn't matter what level they are. When I'm in despotism, I could have one alchemist and one philosopher. I could not have two alchemists and one philosopher because I have three total labs. So that's changing your government. They give you more actions and the ability to have more workers in an urban building type. You can pay the cheap number and use all your civil actions, usually four or five civil actions to do that. Or you can save up a lot of ideas and use the cheaper number and change your government for just one action. Next are the blue special technologies. The blue special technologies cost ideas like all the technologies cost ideas. And you put them face up near your player board and they grant you a special ability There's four different types, and each one gives you a little bit different ability. Some of them give you more action, some of them give you military strength, you might get a discount on buildings. They just give you a special ability to use for the rest of the game. So those are all the technologies. The brown, grays, and reds are new kinds of buildings and military units. We've got the orange government cards and the blue special technologies. There are three kinds of cards left to talk about. The leaders, the actions, and the wonders. The green cards are the leaders. And the leaders, you, you're allowed to have one out at a time, and they grant you a typically pretty powerful special ability. And normally your play will sort of be guided by what your leader allows you to do. Like some of them reward you for focusing on science, some of them reward you for focusing on your military, and so on. You're only allowed to have one leader per age. So there are those starter cards, the A cards, you could have an A leader, and then when we start getting over to the one cards, marked with a one on the top, you could switch over and get an age one leader. Getting a leader is actually a two action process because you need to spend at least one action to pick it up from the card row. It could, of course, be more. And then you need to spend another action to play the leader. If you had an older leader, that older leader would die immediately when you played your new leader. And that leader would grant you some special ability that you would keep until that leader went away. For example, Hammurabi. For example, for example Hammurabi, Hammurabi, Hammurabi. Hammurabi. How about Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar gives you one military strength to your civilization, as long as you have him, and one extra red action. So they have a variety of special abilities. Next, the yellow action cards. The yellow action cards, first of all, you have to pick them up from the card row like everything else, and then you play them on a future turn. This is a very important rule with the yellow cards. You must wait a turn before you can play those cards. All the other cards you could play immediately. Normally there's some cost associated for doing that. But with the yellow cards you must wait until the following turn before you are allowed to use them. Then when you play an action card it costs an action. Some of them maybe just give you more food or give you more ore. Some of them let you take a normal action but give you a discount or a bonus for taking that action. For example the action card frugality allows you to increase your population and then you get a bonus food after you do that. Or one of them lets you build a new mine or a farm and lets you do that at a discount. One of them, Work of Art simply scores you culture points. So these are the sort of things that the action cards do. They just give you nice little bonuses. And a lot of times you'll pick these up because they're a great thing to do when you run out of food and ore resources. You'll have these actions and nothing to do with them. So a good thing to do at that point is to either pick up action cards for future turns or to play action cards that you already have in your hand. And finally, we have the purple wonder cards. The wonders work just a bit differently. When you take a wonder, it does not go to your hand. It's the only card that doesn't go to your hand. It goes immediately next to your player board, ready to be constructed. Each wonder has between two and four purple numbers on it. For example, if we look at the pyramid, at the bottom of the pyramid, it says three, two, one with the rock symbol. What that means is over three actions, you have to donate those resources in order to finish construction of the wonder. So let's assume I had a ton of rock sitting around. For one action, I could take the pyramids card. It's ready to be built on. For my second action, I could spend three rock to build the first stage, it's called, of that wonder. I represent that that section has been built by taking one of the blue tokens used to build it and covering that number three. Then for my third action, I could spend two more rock from my mines, using one of the blue tokens to cover the two, putting the other one back in my bank. And then I could use my fourth action to finish construction on the pyramids. When you finish construction of the pyramids, all those blue tokens go back to your bank and it's built. It's good to represent which Wonders you have that are unbuilt and which are finished. Usually I do that by putting my unbuilt Wonder on the left side of my player board, and all completed Wonders I then move over to the right side of my player board to show that they have been completed. For completing the Wonder, you get a super bonus. Some of them give you culture points every turn, which is awesome. The Pyramids give you an additional civil action for the rest of the game after they have been built, which is a very nice ability as well. And despite the example that I just gave, usually players take a few turns before they finish those wonders. You know, they don't usually have six rock and three actions sitting around that they've got nothing to do with. So normally it's a several turn process because these wonders require a lot of ore and actions in order to complete them. Couple of rules about taking wonders from the card row. Taking your first Wonder is just like any other card, but you can't take another Wonder until you finish the Wonder that you're working on. You cannot have two incomplete Wonders at one time. Let's say I did finish those Pyramids and I'm ready to take another Wonder. You're required to pay extra actions the more Wonders that you build. For the second Wonder that you wanna take from the card row, you have to spend an extra action to do that. And for the third Wonder you wanna build, you have to spend two extra actions in addition to the normal cost from the card row. And so on so you can see it takes a lot more actions to build those future wonders But that's how wonders work. They don't go into your hand. They go directly into play They'll have a certain number of stages that you're gonna have to donate ore to which you're gonna represent by putting blue tokens Covering the number each of those stages takes an action You can only build one of them at a time after your first one. They cost extra actions to take Phew that is it Those are all the different types of civil cards. Let's just go back over them just for one second. There are the red and gray and brown, which let you get new and better kinds of buildings and military units. There's the orange governments, which give you more actions. The blue special technologies, which give you special abilities. Remember all five of those colors. The new buildings, units, governments, and special abilities. For all of those, you have to spend ideas in order to be able to play those to the table. So make sure to have some scientists keep working for you. Then we have the green leaders. You're allowed to have one of those out per age. You have the yellow action cards that you pick up and you can use on future turns. And the purple wonders, which you're going to have to spend ore on over several actions. It may take you many turns to finish completion of those wonders. They're quite a bit of work. And those are all the eight different types of cards from the card row that you can expect to see in the game. We're just about through with the basics that you need to play what they're calling the simple game. If it's called the simple game, why did it take me this long to go over the rules? Do you understand now why I'm urging you to just try the simple game before you move further? Please, you'll be happier with yourself And the people that you're submitting to listening to all these rules will be happier with you as well. So, let's wrap this up by talking about the flow of the simple game. The flow of the learning game. Okay, so the first few turns of this game work a little bit different just because they start setting you up and getting you ready to play actual real turns. You'll randomly determine your start player and on the first turn of the game whoever the start player is only gets one civil action and all they get to do with that is to pick up a card and to start the game you actually use this mini starter deck the A deck which represents the ancient era so you'll shuffle up that A civil deck and you'll fill up the card row and the first player will have the option to take one of the cards that only takes one action to take. So one of the last five cards in the card row. Then that first player will get to produce, and they will get two food and two rock and one science point, which I've been calling Ideas. They'll signify that by moving the two blue markers up to their farm card, two blue markers up to their mine card, and they'll move one on the Ideas track. And what this allows them to do is on the second turn, they'll actually be able to do stuff, because they'll have two food and they'll have two rock. Then the second player goes for being the second player the second player gets to take two actions worth of cards so they could either take two cards from the one action spot or one card from the two action spot then they produce then the third and fourth players would go each getting three actions worth of cards and four actions worth of cards and they would also produce and that's all that happens in the first round now is the first time when you slide the card row down Normally, you slide down the card row after each turn, but on that first setup round, you don't do any sliding at all. After that first round is done, you knock out cards, either 1, 2, or 3, based on the number of players. 4, 3, or 2 players, respectively. Then you slide those A cards down, and you fill up the row with A cards. Any extra A cards left over, and there will be extra A cards, those are removed from the game, you don't use those. You only use them for the setup round and filling up for that first turn. After that, the extras go away. At that point, you get your Civil Age 1 deck. Make sure that's shuffled up. Place that on the spot for Civil cards on the game board, and you're ready for more normal turns. The normal turns work how I've described. First of all, you'll set up the card row. Then the player will take actions. Normally, they're just going to be using those white actions. They're going to use four of them. And on your player aid is a list of all those different things that you can do with your actions. I've described most of them to you. As I've said, the most common things to do are to pick up more cards, to play cards... Sometimes you have to spend ideas to do that, to get new workers, and to give those workers a job by paying ore. So they'll usually choose four of those, or maybe less if they take something that requires multiple actions. You almost always want to use all of those white actions, or you're missing out. When they are finished, they'll need to remember to produce. They should take their culture points, if they're earning any, by having priests, for example, or have finished a wonder. But for sure, they'll get a science point, and they'll get food and ore, so they'll have to slide up some blue tokens for getting those. And the second turn will work like that. Normally what I have do is the the person whose turn it's going to be set up the cards by knocking out the cards, sliding them down, putting out new cards, while the player who just finished their turn is working on their production. And so you would go around like that for the second turn. Then the only thing that changes from the third turn on is that we'll have a stack of event cards. And the beginning of each round, meaning at the beginning of the start player's turn, they're going to flip over one of these event cards It's going to do something. It might give everybody more rock. It might give you free ideas. A lot of them let you give a worker a job for free. So a little tip is when you're playing this simple game, it's very good to end your turn with one of your workers available to get a job. Don't leave your worker pool empty. And then from there you simply play turns like that. Players will use all their white actions, you'll slide the card row down, they'll produce, the next player will go, Whenever it's the start player's turn, you'll flip over a new event card. Note that there's one card called the Development of Politics card, which is removed from that event card deck. Make sure that you do that if you're just playing the simple game. You keep playing turns in that way. The timer for the game is the age one deck. And when the age one deck is finished, you play turns until players have had equal turns. And then at that point, the game is over. The full game is around 20 turns. I believe the simple game will last just about seven or eight turns but you know we'll probably take two to three hours by the time you run through all the rules and get through those seven turns for each player Keep in mind that this simple game is meant just to teach you some of the basic mechanics, to expose you to some of the cards, and to get you used to seeing how to do some of the different actions, and to start to get used to what those blue markers represent in different areas, and what all of those different cards do. So don't really worry about shooting for a score so much as just trying to build this infrastructure of your civilization, and to use all of your actions effectively on each turn. There is a scoring method at the end of the simple game rule, You can go through that gives you points for technologies, for strength, your science points, your food and resource production, and your happy faces, which we'll talk more about later. But happiness or happy faces are a constant resource, somewhat like strength, that can be earned from wonders or from your priests. So you score all those things up to see who is the winner of the game. But to be honest, this scoring system that they have at the end of this simple game isn't really related to the scoring system in the real game. In the real game, you just get points from all the points you've accumulated throughout the game, and there's a few bonus cards at the end, but you don't get points for all this other junk. Having all those things like production and military strength are just a means to help you win the game. So that's what this is all about, developing your infrastructure. And if you've developed a basic understanding of some of the cards and what you're trying to do in this game, then you're a winner. Let me go over just a few important footnotes to wrap this up before you get started on that simple game. There's one more action that I didn't talk about, which is situationally important, and that's the destroy action. If you have a yellow marker in a technology that isn't really helping you or actually hurting you, you can spend an action to take the yellow marker off that technology and bring it back to your worker pool so that you can spend ore to go put it somewhere else. One thing you might consider doing is destroying your warrior unit as it doesn't really help that much in the simple game. When you destroy warriors, you use one red marker. When you destroy other buildings... Actually, technically, it's called disband when it's warriors. When you destroy a building, meaning move a yellow marker off the technology back to the worker pool, that costs a white action. Like, for example, if you're getting just too much food because you put too many workers on the farm, you might want to spend an action to bring that farmer back to the worker pool. Next, let's talk quickly about happy faces. Happy faces are more important in the advanced and full game They simply are worth points for how much happiness you have in the simple game. Happy faces are a static resource, meaning when you get them, you just have them and they don't really accumulate. You get happy faces for the number of priests that you have. Some of the wonders give you happy faces. So if you had two priests, you would just have two happy faces. You wouldn't get two happy faces every turn. Military kind of works the same way. Each warrior gives you one strength. That strength doesn't accumulate each turn. You just have that strength for as long as you have those warriors. But you will note there are several of the cards that will have an effect based on the number of happy faces you have or do things with your happy faces. Such as Joan of Arc or Michelangelo or the Basilica will double your happy faces. And there's one other term that you should ignore when you're playing this simple game. A few of the cards will refer to colonization. You're not going to do any colonization until you play the advanced or the full game. Which means Christopher Columbus is terrible. Just ignore him. There's a couple other cards that will refer to colonization, like Cartography and the Colossus. I'd say just avoid those. You may even want to just pull them out of the decks before you start playing, if you don't want to confuse first-time players. And with that, you should be all set to get going on that first simple game. Be excited. You're undergoing a new adventure. It's going to take a little bit of learning and patience, but trust me, it's all worth it. This is a great game that's worth your time. So go have fun exploring that simple game. Good luck, and I hope you enjoy it. After you finish that first game, I invite you to give a listen to part two of this episode so that you can learn how to play either the advanced or the full game. So go have yourself a game, and I'll talk to you more in a little bit. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums of BoardGameGeek. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own. And that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howToplayPodcast at MSN.com. This podcast home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Thanks for listening. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. For more information on these shows and much more, please visit www.thedicetower.com.